worship you because of who you are. We worship you because of all that you've done. All that you're doing now and all that you're about to do in our midst and in our lives. We thank you. We worship you. And Lord, as we stand here this morning, as we are worshiping here this morning, we can't help but think of how good you have been to us to even have this beautiful place that we're in right now. Lord, to have it refurbished and all paid for completely, and Lord, to be in this beautiful place, to be able to worship you, it's humbling, it's amazing, and we thank you. We thank you. And now, Lord, may the newness of the fall, may the newness of this place also bring us to a newness of a a new season for all of us, God, that in our lives, in our church, Lord, you would be doing new things. New things, God, that you would show us new ways to live, new ways to to obey you and to follow you. Lord, that you would radically use us in ways we've never thought of before. So by your spirit, do a new thing. We thank you, God, for all you're doing. And now, God, we lay before you uh, the next several minutes as we open your word. Teach us, we pray. Humble us, cause us to respond. Lord, that we can live lives that really display you to others. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Isn't that beautiful to be back in here uh, this weekend? Isn't this incredible? I just love it. Just great. And as I was just praying, just so thankful. I mean, we are a blessed people. We are a blessed people to be able to be here and uh, just have such beauty around us. Uh, Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God. And I, I want to, again, I know it was talked about earlier, but just again remind you of next weekend, 10.30 here. 10.30, and you're going to come in the parking lot over here and uh, park to the back, to the sides, and over to the parking lot over there um, by LA Fitness. But encourage you to come early. Encourage you to bring someone with you. Please, bring someone with you. And if you're not comfortable bringing them to the church service, invite them to come at noon. And just join you for the family fun time. If you know a family in your neighborhood, say, you know what, stop by at noon. Uh, All they're going to get is a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of food, and uh, you just have a great time. And just show them, really, that we can have a good time as Christians here. So I encourage you uh, to show up next week, come early, invite somebody with you. It's going to be a remarkable weekend, really, as we kick off our fall and we celebrate in that way all that God is doing here. It's an amazing thing. And we are thankful. I'm thankful. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm pumped as well uh, to just be continuing this series. Uh, First Peter, it has been so impacting me as I'm learning. And uh, it's just, it's humbling to be able to even speak here today and, and to deliver these words. Three weeks ago, we began this series. And we began really by asking really an essential question. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. Follow God? Yes. But do you know who you are? That was the question really that Peter was asking the people to whom he was writing because they had been forgetting who they were. And so we began this series reminding all of us that if you're following Jesus Christ, well, the first thing we need to know is that we are chosen. We are chosen that God, out of his love, out of his grace, set his affection upon us. As a result, he called us to himself. And we came to saving faith because we are chosen. It is his work, not ours. And then last week, Daniel reminded us, because we have Jesus Christ, because we're following God, we are hope. We are hope. Because we have Jesus, we are hope. We bring hope to the world. 
And so now as we continue here today, Peter is going to teach us something else. Because basically what he's trying to get us to understand is that you can have all the hope in the world. You can have 500 pounds of hope, 5,000 pounds of hope in your life. But if your hope is not properly focused, it's going to result in very little. So he encourages us today to focus our thoughts, to focus our lives. And so he continues in this series and he says, therefore, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? What's there to remind us that because we have been chosen, because you have such a hope, he says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Now prepare in the original language, literally meant to gird up. To gird up. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us in our culture. It made a whole lot of sense to them. You see, if you're a guy back then in that culture, uh, and you wanted to get from here to there, you wanted to have a life filled with action and purpose, well, you'd have a problem because you had these robes around you. And if you tried to run, if you tried to take action, you'd trip over them and fall flat on your face. And so what you'd have to do is you'd have to gird up your robe, tuck it underneath your belt, and then you could run. Then you could take action. And in the same way, he's saying, you've got to do that with your minds. Because I'll tell you what, all these thoughts going on up here, they're getting in the way. And if you try to take action, you're going to trip over all those thoughts. You're going to land flat on your face. He's saying, so you need to gird up your mind. Prepare your mind for action, is what he's saying. It's that important. And the first lesson that Peter teaches us then is this, that we can't control our bodies without first controlling our minds. We can't control our bodies without first controlling our minds. You see, the Bible tells us as Christians that we can control our bodies with our minds because why? We are empowered with the Holy Spirit. Empowered with the Holy Spirit. Paul, he adds to the discussion and he writes, The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But ours can, he's saying. Ours can, because our mind is controlled by the Spirit, because we are His children. But here's the deal. If we're going to be honest, we have a problem. We tend to carry our former way of thinking into our present reality. We do this over and over again, and as a result, instead of preparing our minds for action, we prepare our minds for the gutter. We do. We do. In fact, studies show this. I want you to think about your life, your typical day that you have, just your typical day. Did you know that you have, every single day, between twelve and 60,000 thoughts that run through your mind? Every single day. Between twelve and 60,000 thoughts. Now, you might think that you got up this morning. It's a brand new day, right? Brand new experiences, brand new uh, things in front of you. But that might be true for everything else. But when it comes to your mind and your thoughts, not so much. Studies show that 98% of the thoughts you have today be the same ones you had yesterday. And 80% of those thoughts are negative. Negative thoughts about yourself. Negative thoughts about your present situation. Negative thoughts about others. And friends, negative thoughts, they drain us. They do not prepare our minds for action. 
And you see, long before these studies were conducted and revealed, Peter and Paul already knew the truth. It's why Paul wrote these words. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying, prepare your mind for action. You've got to replace all those thoughts that you want to have repeat today. Replace them with new thoughts, good things. But in order for us to think about these things, we need to prepare our mind for action, which means we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to live by the Holy Spirit? Well, here are some beginning steps here, friends. First of all, we need to pray for understanding and strength. We need to pray for understanding and strength. We need to pray and pray often. Paul did. He said this, I keep asking. Notice he didn't say, I asked once. I prayed a couple times. No, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, know the hope to which he has called you. The same hope that Peter writes about, right? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. It starts with this. We've got to pray for understanding and strength. The problem is we kind of just pray for our breakfast. We pray before we go to bed at night. But do you pray for God's understanding and strength? And do you consistently pray for it? That's what Paul is saying. That's what Peter is saying. We need to consistently pray for understanding and strength. And then we need to renew our minds with God's truth. We need to renew our minds with God's truth. Paul writes, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And how do you renew your mind with God's truth? Well, you fill it with God's truth, which means you open his word, you absorb it, you read it. But again, studies show that many Christians, they don't read God's word. They hear it in church, they see it on a screen, but the rest of the week, not so much. Friends, we've got to be praying for understanding, for truth. And we need to renew our minds with God's truth by absorbing his word. And then thirdly, we've got to practice God's truth. We've got to practice God's truth. Paul writes, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Peter says it differently. He's saying, basically, prepare your mind for action. Make sure it's focused, because as a result of preparing your mind for action, girding it up, getting all that junk out of the way, and being led by the Spirit, you will be self-controlled, Peter says. Self-controlled. Now, in the original language, self-controlled literally meant to have a sober mind. A sober mind. So we all know what it looks like for somebody not to have a sober mind, right? They can't think clearly. They can't drive reliably. They can't process information intelligently. Peter's saying, you got all this hope, but in order to put it into action, you got to have a self-controlled, sober mind. you got to. So do you? Do you have that kind of mind? Some years ago, Carol and I, uh, we bought these mountain bikes. And we lived in an area where we had lots of trees, trails, sand dunes. And so we bought these mountain bikes, brand new mountain bikes. We had just recently bought a brand new van as well. And so we got these mountain bikes, and then, of course, we needed a brand-new rack to go on top of the van so the mountain bikes could be placed on top of the van, and we can just kind of take them wherever we wanted to go. And so we got all that worked out, 
And one day Carol says, well, Phil, let's, let's ride to the Kelhaven Trail and then ride our bikes from there. And I thought, well, I mean, that's like an hour and a half away. Um, why don't we just ride around here? It's right, right out, outside our door. She goes, no, we'll make it a special day, she said. You know, I'll, I'll pack a lunch and we'll drive there. And we'll ride the trails. I'm like, okay. So I, I did it, but not in the best of attitude, if you know what I'm saying. And so I put the bikes on top of the van. We, we got ourselves in the van and somewhere driving. We left our driveway. We got like 60 seconds down the road. And Carol says, well, do you have any money? Because like, I don't have any money. And we might need to buy something when we're riding on the trail, you know, some drinks or something to eat. Well, I didn't have any money. He says, well, let's pull into the bank. And so now, I, like I didn't really want to go to begin with, but now I'm pulling into this bank. And I'm starting to get just a little bit more annoyed, right? And, and, uh, and here's what I was doing. We, we all do it. Out of sight, out of mind, right? We do this in our daily lives. We're, we're looking... We're thinking, we're focused, but not necessarily on the most important things, which is what Peter's trying to get us to understand. Out of sight, out of mind. So now I, I pull into the bank, I pull around to go through the automatic teller machine. Isn't that like a gift to us all, these automatic teller machines, right? And so now I'm driving into the automatic teller machine, and I didn't even quite get to the machine yet, when suddenly I heard this sound. And I had like a second of time when I thought, you know what? I have never heard a sound like that before. And then as soon as I thought that, suddenly bicycles started raining from the sky. I mean, they're falling this side of the van, that side of the van. And then I noticed that they looked a lot like our bicycles that were falling from the sky. And I got out of my van. And, of course, there's the roof of the bank. We drove smack into that deal. I mean, those bicycles were all bent up, I'll just tell you. The rack that we just bought was all bent. The van was dented in onto the top. And I'll tell you what... uh, We do this, right? We do this. And I'll tell you what, these ladies in the bank, they're looking out at me, right? They're looking through their window at me with these mangled bikes, our mangled van. And I'll tell you what, I may have had all the hope that you can possibly have in your life, but because I didn't have a self-controlled mind, I looked hopeless. I looked hopeless. And I'd like to stand before you this morning and say, well, that's the only time we did that. I'd even like to tell you that we only did that twice. Three times. Into our house, in the bank, of course, and then at a hotel as well. I mean, we everywhere we're going, we're just banging into these things. Don't have a self-controlled mind, right? But this is how it is with our lives, right? We wonder, why is all this stuff happening to us? All these bad things are coming into our lives, are pouring down on us. Life is so unfair. All this bad stuff. Because we're not living with a self-controlled, sober mind. Peter says, you can have all the hope in the world, but if it's not focused, you're going to look hopeless. And so once you set your attention, set your focus in this way, then he says, then you're going to be able to set your hope fully. Now, it's important as you're setting your hope fully that you're putting your hope in the right things, right? Because we tend to put our hope in a host of things like our health or our looks or our job or the person that I'm dating right now because that person is going to complete me. So I put my hope in that person. I put my hope in my abilities, all kinds of things. But instead of these options, where is our hope to be placed? But Peter says our hope is to be placed on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, Jesus Christ is coming back again. We need to place our hope in him. And our focus will be on Him. 
And since we're part of the family of God, we need to think like family members. We need to act like family members. We need to anticipate like family members. If we do that, what is the natural outflow then of family members who set their attention, their focus on Christ with a full anticipation of his coming? Peter says, I'll tell you what the result will be. It will be obedience. Obedience. Peter writes, as obedient children of the family of God, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Not some of what you do, not most of what you do. Be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God is saying, I am your father. I am holy. I want you to be just like me. See, earlier we learned we can't control our bodies without first controlling our minds. Now we learn that that we can't live in holiness without first modeling our father. I want you to think about this. I know I've said this a couple times, but because the father has set his affection upon us, out of his love for us, and chosen us as his own. Because then he has filled us with his hope through Jesus Christ and his transformational work on the cross. Friends, once we respond to all of that, we are holy. We're holy. But many of you might, you might be hearing that and go, man, that just, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with thinking that I'm holy. And the reason why you're uncomfortable with that is because you're repeating yesterday's 98% today. Instead of replacing it with the good things that Peter and Paul are talking about. And instead, let's be honest, as Christians, what we do in the morning, we look at ourselves in the mirror. Instead of seeing ourselves as holy, what do we, what do we think? We think, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm used goods. The choices of my past, I'm, I'm just used goods. I'm not that likable. I'm not that talented. I'm dirty ugly. At least that's how I feel inside. We got to stop all that, friends. As God's children, how does he see us? He sees us as holy, precious, prized, a treasure. You see, to be holy is to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different, but not like different, like, boy, that was different, you know, like kind of weird or strange. We're to be different in the best possible way, right? So then let me ask you something here. What makes us different then from everyone else on the planet? What makes us different? I'll tell you one thing. We have the distinct privilege of calling God our Father. That's what makes us different. It's now time for a little test. Okay, we, we've been in this series now for two weeks plus a couple minutes here, right? We're not even into chapter two of First Peter yet, but I want to see if we've learned some things along the way. So it's a little test. You know, there's no paper going to get handed out. You don't have to fill it out. Don't worry, but I do want you to respond, okay? So here's what I want you to do, because Peter was writing to these Christians who were living in a culture that was against them, okay? And we are as well, if you're looking around. And in the midst of our culture, a host of things are being said. And as Christians, many times we go, well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. And we start buying what the culture is selling. So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, I'm going to put up this this phrase that that somebody said. And I'm I'm not picking in anybody. Just want you to know, uh, George Bush, our president some years ago, he said the same kind of a statement, very similar those years ago as President Obama did this past year. Here's what Obama said, and I want you to think about this. What's wrong with this statement? Take a look here. Our nations are strongest 
When we see that we are all God's children, all equal in his eyes, and worthy of his love. Now, based on what we've learned in 1 Peter so far, what's wrong with that statement? Speak to me. What's wrong with that statement? Anyone know? We're not worthy. Thank you very much. God is worthy of our love, but we are not worthy of his. Remember, God sees us. He sees all of our junk. And out of his grace, he chooses to love us despite ourselves. We are not worthy of his love. He is worthy of our love, though. Anything else stick out at you with that statement? Based on what Peter's talking about. Thank you. We are not all his children. We are all God's creation, but we are all not his children. Let's not water God down. That's what the world is doing. That's what our culture is doing. We need to understand that we are all not God's children. Why? Remember, out of his goodness, God, he sets his affection on us and he calls us and draws us to himself, right? Because he has chosen us. And then comes that moment in time when we respond to that, the saving work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. And we we come to him, we say, Father, please forgive me for what Jesus has done. Thank you. And then we respond to this. And at that moment, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit seals that salvation. And at the very moment we respond then, God the Father adopts us as his child. It's only then and then that we become really his children. Do you have a focused mind? Is your mind properly focused. That's what Peter is trying to get us to understand. We got to know we're living in a culture. They talk about God, but is it really God or are we making God in our own image? Let's focus on the God friends that made us, that loves us, that has called us friends, because once we understand this, once we understand his love for us, and once we understand who we are, when we respond to him that we are his children, we've got to understand that we are holy. We are holy. But in order for us to model ourselves after a holy God, then what do we need to do? Well, we need to seek him with all our hearts. If we're going to model our lives after him, well, then we've got to seek him with all our hearts. That's why Peter writes, he says, Since you call, or since you seek, a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. See, the result of seeking God, then, is fearing God. Fearing God. So we've learned that we can't control our bodies without first controlling our minds. We can't live in holiness without first modeling our Father. And we can't model our Father without first living in fear. Does that sound good to many Christians? i got to live in fear? Like, what, what is God talking about there? Fear. This is a concept many Christians have struggled with. In fact, about 10 years ago, I was speaking a message back where I was, and, and, this, and the, the sermon wasn't even about fear, okay? I just read a scripture passage that talked about godly fear. I made a couple comments, and I moved on. But then afterwards, this guy comes up after the service, and he is downright angry with me because I had so misled everybody regarding what it means to live in godly fear. And so he wanted to take me out to breakfast that week to set me straight, and so we met for breakfast, and I just listened to him for about an hour. And then I said, okay, I've heard you now. Let me just sum up what I think you've said, just to make sure I've heard you correctly. You tell me if I got this right or not, based on how you, how you view this. So I said to him, if it were possible, I want you to imagine yourself, you're 90 years old now. 
You know you're going to die. You're lying in that hospital bed. You know you've only got five minutes left to live. And you know this. In these last five minutes you're living, are you terrified to see God? He says, yes. Okay. I said, so then in your last five minutes of life here on this planet, because you're so terrified to see God, because you live in such fear of him, do you then pray to God asking him for five more minutes to live so that you can delay seeing him for five minutes longer because you're so afraid of him? He says, just to an extent to which, yes, that, that is actually true. So is he right? Are we to live in terror before God? And if that is true in what I said to him that day, well, then how do you match that up with what the Bible says that as his children, we can come boldly before God's throne? How can you come boldly before his throne if I'm supposed to be in terror of him? It doesn't seem to work. And so we got some people over here says we live in fear and terror of God. And then we've got Christians over here that say, you know what? It's not that's not the way it is at all. What we need to do. Godly fear is this just showing God a little respect. We just respect God, and that's living in fear before him. I don't know how you define respect, but that's, that's a belief that's out there. And I want to say this. The truth lies somewhere in the middle here, friends. You see, we, we fail to understand what fear really is all about because we fear things in the wrong way. For example, you know, we fear, let's be honest, we fear what people will say to us or say behind our backs. We, we, we fear what people will do to us or what they think of us. We fear that we will fail. And even worse yet, we fear that people will see us when we fail. Like driving through the automatic teller machine, you know, and everyone sees you, right? And you've got bikes falling everywhere because it's downright embarrassing. We fear these kinds of things, right? But in light of that, what, what is godly fear? What does it mean to live in fear before him? Well, let me put it this way. Fear is this, the proper understanding of how much God hates sin and how much God will judge sin. Sin is the proper understanding of how much God hates sin and how much God will judge sin. And you hear that, you think, okay, wait a second now. I thought God was love. I had somebody write me. They emailed me about three weeks ago. They said, you know, I've heard great things about your church, and I really want to come there to worship with you, but I just want to know kind of something before I do that. Is your church one of those churches that preaches all these different things about God, or do you preach that God is love? Because I want to go to a church where God is love. I said, well, God is love. But that's not all God is. I mean, think about it. If somebody says, well, you're a really funny person, is that all you are? You're just a funny person. Can you be a caring person too? Can you be a thoughtful person? Can you be an impatient person from time to time? Can you just be boiled down to just being a funny person? No. We can't do that with God either. God is love, but he is so much more. You see, if I only have a love relationship with God, I'm liable to act any way that I want to because God is just going to blow it off and just love me anyway. But if I live in fear before God, I'm liable to act in the way that he wants. And every choice that I make, I go, oh, that's probably not the right choice. And it might seem small to us, but the Bible says he hates that. That little sin that we think is little, he hates that. He's going to judge that. So in our lives, we go, is this what God would want? I'm to model my life after him. Is this what God wants? If it is, then I'm doing it. If it's not, I'm not. This is what it means to live in fear before him. You see, the fear of God, it changes us. 
It changes us, friends. It spurs us to not only know we are a redeemed people, but to actually live like a redeemed people. And you see, once we start to understand the lengths to which God went to on our behalf, we'll be blown away by this, so blown away by this, that we'll be motivated to live in the manner he has called us to live. It's why Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen, foreknown, there's that foreknowledge again that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Jesus was foreknown by the Father before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And to that we say, thank you, Jesus. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Not in our situation, not in ourselves, not in the person I'm dating right now. My hope is only in him. And since Jesus paid our debt on the cross for us, friends, once we respond to his call in our lives, we become his child and we are holy. And to that we say, what grace, what incredible love. And think about this. Since you and I were loved by the Father before the very foundation of the world, Peter says, since we're recipients of that kind of love, we need to show it to others as well. And he writes, now that you have purified yourself, you purify yourself by living in godly fear, right? Doing what he wants you to do by obeying the truth. You only know what the truth is if you're living in godly fear so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. Let me ask you, the people that are sitting next to you right now, the people who are sitting behind you right now, or in front of you right now, do you love them deeply from the heart? We're called to do that. Do you love them deeply from the heart? And some of you are thinking, well, you know what? I, I don't even know those people sitting behind me. I don't even know them. I mean, the only thing I know about them now is they can't sing. I know that. But I don't really know them, right? What does it mean to love them deeply? Because we're called to love them deeply. How about this? How about after church, instead of just getting up and making a beeline for the parking lot, how about spending two minutes in here getting to know the people that are around you so you can get to know them, so you can start to love them? What does it look to, like to join a grow group and get in community with people and learn how to love those people that he's placed as part of the family of God right here at MCC? We are to love people deeply. And why do we do this? Well, Peter writes, for you have been born again. It's a natural result of being saved. He's saying, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So we've learned, friends, that we can't control our bodies without first controlling our minds. And we can't live in holiness without first modeling our Father. And we can't model our Father without first living in fear. And now we see that we can't show God's love without first living in truth. Why Peter says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. So you got two choices before. You're going to obey God's truth or you're going to obey the world's truth. And the world's version of the truth changes every single day. Because truth changes depending on what's best for us. Because this world creates God in their own image, right? They don't look to God and say, what does he want? God is to submit himself to our culture. That's the world we live in. And if we're not going to obey God's truth, friends, it means we're going to obey the world's truth, which means we're going to kind of absorb and embrace this world's version of love, which is ever-changing as well. 
You know, to the world, love is something you find. Love is something that you lose. It's an emotion. Love is the right chemistry. It's a feeling. Love is free. Love is a romance novel. Peter tells us here what love is. Because Jesus told him and showed him what love is. You see, love is this. It's a passionate commitment. It's a commitment that puts the benefit of the other person before yourself. It's why Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love is self-sacrificial. And such self-sacrificial love is to start with us. That's what Peter is saying because Jesus taught him. Jesus told him one day, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we've got to start loving each other here. So when we see each other at Kroger, at the gas station, we show our love for each other there. And the world notices that and goes, man, what is that all about? I want in. And as a result of them seeing our love for each other, they want Jesus. And why is this so important? Peter answers the question, for all men are like grass. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He's saying we've got to love each other and show the world God's love because we're here today and gone tomorrow. It is that quick, friends. And what Peter's trying to remind us of is, is this. That he's saying we are chosen. We are hope to this world. We are holy. And since we are his holy people, we've got to show this love so that other people will become part of the family and spend their eternal destiny with him. But friends, in order for others to see this love, we need to live in truth, which means we need to be really, really careful, right? We need to be careful to not allow certain behaviors into our lives that keep others from seeing his love, touching his love, and wanting his love. It's why Peter wrote, he says, Therefore, rid yourself... Any of these categories align with you? Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. You said anything bad against anybody this week of any kind? Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, you're going to live so much differently than the world now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've lived life long enough to know that there are people that I know I love in my life, that they have things that they, they love, that they drink, that they consume, they think is so good. They say, Phil, you've got to try this, and, and I'll drink what they think is good, and I find it disgusting, right? For example, for me, black coffee. Right? Without cream or sugar in it, without making the coffee a candy bar, a liquid candy bar, black coffee is disgusting. i got to tell you, I cannot even put a drop down my throat. In fact, I'd rather pour engine oil down my throat than have black coffee. It's that bad. It really is. I'm not making this up. And then, you know, the Bible makes it clear that it's, it's, it's wrong to get drunk, but it's not wrong to drink. And so I have people who say, well, Phil, try this beer. Or try that beer. You haven't had the right beer. You haven't had the right company. Not the right product. Friends, I haven't met a beer I liked. First of all, I can't get past the look of beer because it reminds me of something else entirely. Okay? And then the stuff tastes disgusting probably because I can't get rid of the, the image of what it looks like in my mind. But it's disgusting. But here's the deal. The Bible says, everyone who truly tastes of the Lord will find him. What? 
good. They'll find him good. Have you tasted of the Lord? Have you truly tasted of the Lord? Because if you've tasted of the Lord, you have found him good. And as a result of that, you want to eradicate anything from your life that keeps others from looking at your life and saying, why would I want Jesus if it looks like that? You see, friends, when we live lives filled with hypocrisy, while the, while the Lord is good, we don't taste very good. And this world spits us out of their mouths because in their, in their way of thinking, we're like black coffee or beer. It's that disgusting to them. Why? Because we give off this vibe that we're better than. Somehow you don't measure up, right? You'll never be good enough. And we are the standard. Even though we won't live by God's holy standard, we are the standard. Once we live as God's holy people, friends, others will see who we are because we know who we are. And in case you've forgotten by now, we are chosen by the Father. We are hope to this world, and we are holy. And what does it look like to, to, for you to live your holy life? What does that look like? How does holiness manifest itself? Well, Peter made it very, very clear for us that the mark of holiness is love. The mark of holiness is love. When you see somebody who truly puts somebody else first before themselves, that's an action of love, but it's an action that points all the way back to the Father because that's what He does. That's what He does. The mark of holiness is love. So are you leaving marks wherever you go? Marks of love wherever you go? And if you're not, what might that look like? How can you mark someone with love this week that you work with? How can you mark someone with love this week that you live on the street with? Or when you're pumping gas? Or when you're, when you're somewhere shopping? Instead of looking at all those people and saying, boy, they're, they're in my way. Can't they get out of this aisle so I can get what I want? You know, instead of looking at them that way, look at them as people who could be recipients of his love. And start looking at things differently because you're preparing your mind for action. And you look at everyone, and all you see when you look at people are people who need Jesus, people who need his love. And so since you know who you are, since you know you are chosen, since you know you are hope, since you know you are holy, the natural outflow is, man, I want to love them. I want to love them. Which means it's going to be uncomfortable for you at times. Which means you've got to set aside what you want to do in that moment in order to benefit another. Are you ready to live like that? I want to show you an example of somebody in our own church who, because he knew who he was, lived life just like that. And the outcome is downright beautiful. Let it inspire you and may it cause you to think how you can do this in the life of somebody this week. The mark of holiness is love. Are you leaving marks wherever you go? Take a look. I'm Ted Dostal. I've uh, been going to MCC for a long time now. I build cabinets for a living. Um, one day, uh, this, this couple moves into the apartment complex in front of my shop. You know, I never really see them, but this green Mustang keeps parking in front of my in my parking space, crooked at a diagonal, just terribly inconvenient. I start getting frustrated. I can't ever find the guy. He must have really weird hours. And God started working on me and asking me why I was so angry about the situation, and so I kind of prayed about it and. Um, Next thing I know, I actually see him driving out of the parking lot, and I flag him down because he has a flat tire. And um, you know, I pull him up, fill up the air in his tire, 
and uh, started a small conversation with him and you know he kind of just says thanks and is on his way. The next day um, he comes back and he's like hey can I work for you you know clean your shop really need the money um, I'm like you know some red flags flew up but uh, I was like yeah sure you know come on in and let's see where this goes. I was also open to the opportunity to speak to somebody who clearly was going through some struggles in their life. Um, I stuck with that for that next week, week and a half, and uh, um, he did a great job. Um, I took him out to Good Samaritan Inn um, to uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Skip, and uh, from there, you know, uh, the journey began. Hi, my name is James Poole. Basically, like what Ted said, you know, how we were introduced to each other was through just the way, you know, God works. And uh, during that time that I met Ted, when we first, you know, interacted with each other that day, I was actually on my way to get heroin. It was uh, a personal hell, I mean, that I was living in. And, you know, as I talked with Ted, it felt like for the first time there was somebody who actually, like, was willing to listen to me. Like, I didn't even really get any kind of direct vibes from him at all, except for kindness, really. I mean... Later on, I found out that, you know, I was a nuisance to him, but it, honestly, I would have never guessed that, you know, from my first interaction with him. Right off the bat, he was very supportive of, I think, what he could see my needs were, not what I wanted, you know, but I think he knew that I wanted to change. Ted took me to Good Samaritan. I felt like when they left that I just had a whole new, like, beginning, and when I walked through that door, something just changed like instantaneous and I felt like I had been washed completely like fresh and I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts of cigarettes or, or heroin or drugs it was more of a, a complete different mind shift as the program went on you know I I just excelled at it but I think a lot of it had to do with Ted was constantly in contact with me he didn't just leave me he literally stayed with me like step by step through the whole six months. Um, I think that had a huge impact on my spiritual well-being at the time. As time went on, I recognized, you know, how crazy it was that some guy who didn't even know me, you know, showed to me what Jesus talked about in the Bible. And it, it, it made it easier for me to have a relationship with Jesus, to be able to meet somebody who showed me that kind of compassion and love. My whole life changed because of it. One of the greatest moments for uh, for all of this, for him to become a, uh, a father to these girls again, and me becoming a an uncle to my first nieces. It was all because of God. I mean, really, like, without him, I mean, I was blessed with the way everything went down. You know, the whole process was so smooth. There's no way it was any other thing besides God. How do you feel? Fiona, are you happy? Yeah, and I'm glad that my dad got help and you know, I'm not falling down again. And I'm glad that my mom was able to get help. And back to you, Dad. <laughs> and then looking looking back from my perspective over the whole course of the events, you know, I started off in a place of I was not really ready for this, but because of 
the support networks of my small group and um, the connection with you know other men in the church um, and the resources around me, family and friends who um, were constantly asking about his progress and holding me accountable to what I was doing. Um, you know, I was able to find the strength through through them and through God. I've been blessed as much in my life through helping him as I believe he has from me helping him. I've grown a lot as a man and as a father. I've learned to appreciate the things that I have in a, in a whole new deeper level with my wife and my kids. And um, it's a it's a great opportunity if you ever find yourself, and I just say keep your eyes open for those opportunities because you never know what person or who or what they need, but just ask questions and be available when they ask. Thank you.